Just a quick warning before we start, in today's interview we discuss themes of sexual assault. Hi Dad. Hi Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? (laughs) Well, maybe in my head. The thing is though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. (laughs) Well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen and we're very happy today to welcome Donna. Uh, And Donna is uh, an ex-Jehovah's Witness. She's going to tell her story today with us. She has an Instagram site called The Truth Hurts. Um, where she talks about some of her experiences, but she's going to talk a little bit more today with us. So welcome, Donna, to What Should I Think About? So I guess uh, to start off, we'll just jump in with the usual question of, um, you know, so could you tell us a little bit about yourself, sort of, I guess you start from the beginning with your upbringing as a, as a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, a brief background. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my, my parents were baptised when I was four, so I've pretty much been brought up in the truth. Um, I was baptised when I was 12, um, which was quite young. I, d- I did know a few that had got baptised that young, but it, it's quite young really for, for a witness. But my dad, um, although he only came in um, to the truth quite late in life, he, he progressed quite quickly. He was a ministerial servant. Um, my mum was a pioneer, um, very much instantly submerged into the religion very active never missed meetings never missed saturday or sunday ministry it was literally our life um i've got a brother and a sister uh, we were all raised as witnesses um in fact we often say we were we were raised by the organization not by our parents because mm-hmm. anytime we had any questions about life in general or we were always directed to a Young people ask book or a bound volume or something. Mm. Um, yeah, I kind of think to this day, I'm not really sure what my parents actually think about things because mm. the answer was always, mm. from, you know, from from the Watchtower. So um, yeah, I do feel like I was raised by the organisation as opposed to just raised by my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because I got pa- baptised young, I pioneered in my school holidays. Um, every school holidays that's what I did um and I, and I didn't really have any other interests or or life really it was literally just that meetings so that, ministry yeah so everything. that's yeah. school summer holidays when most of your your friends are out yeah. playing in the park and stuff you're you're spending 60 hours a month was it or 50 hours a month on uh, it was six, six, 60, 60 back then. Yeah. Days. Yeah. Uh, they yeah, did used to great. do. Um, our, our, one of our elders suggested, because I had a friend who got baptized at the same age, and he let us share our hours. Mm. So we we just agreed to do 30 each. Which is still a lot, though, isn't it? Yeah, which is very kind of him. But yeah, it's still quite innovative, a lot of isn't it? 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure so that's was... sanctioned. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know whether it went down as official, but we thought we were pioneers. Yeah. But but in the in the summer holidays in August, I did do the sixty because mm-hmm. um, obviously you have all of August off, don't you? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's pretty miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was with my friend and. There was an old brother who used to pick us up. He was that sweet, and it wasn't terrible, you know. Mm. It was all I knew at the time, and I did yeah. quite enjoy it. Obviously, I, mm. I wouldn't have done it, but, yeah, looking back, so many better things I could have done with my school <laughs> holidays, but, you know, that's that. Yeah. Um, so it was always – I don't know whether it was my goal or whether it was just an expectation that I – adopted as my goal but it, it was my my goal to regular pioneer as soon as I left school um and that's what I did um slight spanner in the works in that my parents separated around the time I was doing my exams and stuff um so I did have to work more um so I, I couldn't start regular pioneering so I just auxiliaried for a while um my parents then divorced my dad was removed as a ministerial servant he left the truth and left the country and was later disfellowshipped um but I kind of carried on pioneering as much as I could and then I did I did start regular pioneering I think when I was 16 17 sort of age um and that yeah that's kind of my childhood in the truth I got married at 19 uh, as a lot Very of young yeah. witnesses do, yeah, um, to a ministerial servant who later became an elder. Um, that was difficult because although an elder's wife is not, it's not a title or a privilege. It doesn't give you any actual mm-hmm. title, or, but there's a definite expectation there that you have to be exemplary, which I was, um, but... You felt the not, pressure of it. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised actually how... Mm-hmm. how much pressure I, I felt um, as an elder's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to pioneer school. That was when I was younger. Um, regular pioneered for five or six years, I think, and then auxiliary on and off after that um, all the time. It was always my goal to auxiliary at least three times a year after I'd had mm-hmm. kids and stuff, but I always did more than that. Um, I was on RBC doing the builds, mm-hmm. Um always doing talks, volunteer talks, demos. So you were very just in. heavily involved, yeah, just just really. It, it was just just my life, like I said. I didn't really have much else um, I guess going on, be, really. <laughs> I guess to be yeah. that involved, um, at that point, were you, like, truly believing it or were you just doing loads of stuff to keep believing it? Or what do you know what your thought process was at the time? Yeah, it's a great question. I... If you'd have asked me at the time, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. Of course I believe this. Why would I be submerging my entire life in it if I didn't? Mm-hmm. But it's only since I've, you know, been leaving and looking back on things that I've noticed that I I really did have doubts um, mm-hmm. from a very young age. Um, but you just, you squash them, you forget about them and you think, oh, maybe it's, I just need to do a bit more research on that. Mm-hmm. And then I could never be bothered. And but the, yeah, there was lots of things over the years. The the generation teaching, yeah. which um, you know I I grew up because I was born in 1980, and the awake used to say in it that um, 
before the end of the 20th century or something it said didn't Mm. it that armageddon Mm. was coming and i used to have this conversation with my brother i'm never going to be older than a teenager yeah because it's going to come before around 20 Mm. in fact you know i'm I'm never gonna Mm. so i I think that and looking back i didn't even realize at the time but that to to grow up thinking you're never going to be an adult Mm. is some that's like a serious psychological weird, <laughs> mess up, and, and they, um, right. they they disappeared that little section in the watchtower, yes. didn't they? All of, very quietly, it suddenly disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> it just suddenly wasn't there. And I remember having yeah. the conversation with somebody, and them saying it doesn't say that, and they yeah. got an awake out, and they, and I was like, oh, have I lost my mind? Or because you don't think that oh, they change stuff. It's <laughs> but, like gaslighting, um, isn't it? Basically, yeah. I was like, I'm sure it used to say that because all my life I've had this conversation with my brother that I'm never going to be older than yeah. 19. Um, yeah, but but that so so when that changed, I do remember, and then that the overlapping generation thing came in, and <laughs> I do remember going home from that meeting thinking, oh my goodness are they just gonna always move the goalposts all the time <laughs> but you do just you just accept it you just you just think oh well and and to be fair I had a really nice life so I wasn't one of these desperate for Armageddon to come mm. Mm. um I wasn't I was a happy Jehovah's Witness I really was I mean, you'd talk to people at the meetings sometimes and they'd be like oh I'm plodding on in Satan's system Oh, isn't Satan out to get us all the time? And I'd just be sat there thinking, my life's pretty cool, actually. I quite like my life. You feel like you're maybe doing something wrong because Satan's not attacking you every single day. Mm. So I was happy. Um, So I suppose Armageddon being put back and put back and not actually being around the corner didn't actually concern me, really, because I wasn't waiting for it. You know, I was lucky mm-hmm. enough to not have had anybody very close to me die at that point or, you know, so I wasn't hankering after the new yeah. system coming mm-hmm. at any any moment. I liked my life. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, so I suppose doubts when they don't affect you mm-hmm. just stay as doubts, don't they? It's not worth doing anything about it, really. You want to believe it, don't you? I mean, that, that's that's how I was. Yeah, I, I absolutely. wanted to believe it. I, yeah. Or my family, like like yourself, yeah. you know, family and friends. It's a life. Grew up in it. I mean, why why would you? Yeah, yeah. I didn't like the ministry very much, but literally you get that, no you reason know. to leave. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> and the, the blood fractions thing that blew my mind. I was just like, oh, I can't deal with this. It's bonkers. But, but again, I was just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't affect me. I didn't have a blood illness or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anything like that. Uh, the sexism used to really bother me because I've always been a bit of a closet feminist. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you're not allowed to be a feminist as a Jehovah's Witness. But So what, what bugged you about that then? Tell us about that. Just the whole, uh, well, it's, it's patriarchy, isn't it, I suppose now, mm. but just it used to annoy me. Like I understood why we weren't allowed to do talks and be elders because um, that was simply a scripture, which I was, if you could, any doubt or annoyance that I ever had, if you could throw a scripture at me, I just accepted it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what happens. You know, it says women should be silent in the congregation. So I was like, fine. It it annoyed me a bit because, <laughs> but, but it was the Bible. So I was happy to, yeah. my, my 
me being a witness was all about, I believe the Bible and this religion fits the Bible. Mm -hmm. So it was that. But there was all the the little things like, why can't we do microphones? Why can't we wear trousers? Um, Why can't we go along on some shepherding visits? I used to always say this, that, you know, as long as you're not talking about anything judicial or, Mm. you know, if it's just encouraging people and, and being kind, you know, there's lots of examples of women in the Bible that were used mm-hmm. by Jesus or by God or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then at the same time, I suppose just a little bit of laziness in me was like, well, actually, I don't really want to do a public talk. <laughs> I don't want to be an elder. So again, you just push that mm-hmm. aside because it didn't really mm-hmm. bother me. Uh, that not being allowed to wear trousers to a meeting really used to annoy me. I used to get up on my high horse all the time and get <laughs> shot down in flames for being, you know, too outspoken or whatever. But, for the wish um, for trousers. Getting, yeah, get going I know, on the it's so sad. Yeah. And one time I did actually do microphones. It was, it was a meeting on Christmas Day, a Sunday meeting. And um, it was a really bad snowy time and... and people couldn't get to the meeting. We, there was about 10 of us there at the meeting. And um, my husband did the talk because the speaker mm-hmm. hadn't turned up. So he just stood in and did the talk. And then one of our other friends, who was an elder, did the watchtower. And there was no brothers around. I think my, my husband had to read the watchtower and my friend took it. So me and and her, uh, his husband, uh, sorry, her me and the the speaker's wife did microphones, and it was just the best thing ever. Okay, which so is two, so sad. So two sad. questions. Well, I've got actually two questions on this. Firstly, why did you use microphones when there's only ten people there? Why did you, you not sit that here? Was the opportunity. Why did you <laughs> need them though? Like ten people there. And the second thing, <laughs> did you wear a head covering? I know exactly. We did actually. This is those. We did no. have the conversation. Oh, and really? we decided, well, we're not teaching, so we don't need to. Um, and ironically, I was really annoyed because she she was up and down the aisle and no one on my side was answering. <laughs> the only person I passed a microphone to was myself when I answered up myself, which was really annoying. But one of our, one a, a brother did arrive halfway through, oh. like an hour and a half late for the meeting, but it, it got there. And then afterwards, there was such a stink kicked up about the fact that we, one of us didn't hand this microphone over oh to God. the brother and how disrespectful that was. And oh my God. Um, yeah, so we ended up getting into quite a lot of trouble between the microphone, oh. so it wasn't worth it in the end. But yeah, it's the only time I've ever sort of stepped into a brother's shoes and done, done anything that, that these brothers do. But um did used to really annoy me it was so stupid mm. that yeah why can't we hand out a microphone why, why can't we greet people I used to say that as well mm. why can't i be an mm. attendant and greet mm. people i can be friendly i can welcome people why does well, it have well, to be that miserable uh, brother on the pr- door <laughs> pretty much everything that ministerial servants do um isn't involving yeah. teaching, you know. So oh. I mean, uh, there's no reason why women can't do teaching, of course. But if if they're no, going to be, but if you've, yeah, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. yeah, um, handing out the literature, um, counting sound people, desk. Well, why can't I do the sound desk like turning? That. Yeah, so, um, mm-hmm. but, but all these things, you know, they'd come up every now and then, and I'd just get told I was too too vocal or too 
uppity about stuff, get back in your box mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was just one of those things you just had to put up with and, and deal <laughs> with. Um, there was other stuff, bigger stuff, like shunning used to really bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I know I said my dad was disfellowshipped, but he was out of the country and, and it wasn't we weren't in contact at the time mm-hmm. anyway. So it I'd never had to deal with shunning. Um, mm-hmm. So again, when you, when it's not in your life, in your face, you just don't think about it, do you? So yeah, so I did. I had lots of doubts. What was growing it up over started, the years? What was it that started to sort of, you know, little things that you're able to push away? What were some of the mm. things then that started you on? You know, the fact that obviously you're talking to us today, so you're not on yeah. JW anymore. What was it yeah. that started to weigh the scales down? <laughs> was, to be honest, I think it was having kids. Um, because my first baby that, you know, when they hand you the baby the, for the first time, my first thought, and it came out of the blue and, and shocked me was, I will never shun you. <laughs> and then, then I was like, oh, what a random yeah. first thought to have. Yeah. You know, some people are thinking, oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, mm. look at her little toes. And I was thinking, I will never shun you. <laughs> um, and I didn't know. And now I obviously know that was unconditional love kicking in. Mm. But um, at the time, I just thought, wow, is, is my faith weak? Have I taken my eye off the ball while I've been pregnant? Have I, you know, you just presume that you're doing something wrong if you have any sort of feelings like that. But mm. um, so that that was a bit of a light bulb. Um, I'd, I'd had, I say, an issue with the blood issue. It, it wasn't a life or death situation. But I was strongly encouraged to have blood because uh, I hemorrhaged and I'm anemic. So it, it, was, mm. it wasn't life and death, but it mm. was you'll recover. Your recovery will be mm. very difficult if, if you don't have blood. Um, but I refused, obviously. Um, but the, it sort of triggered something in me because I thought, I'd come close, you know, if I'd lost more blood or if I wasn't healthy enough to recover or I, it, it was that feeling of I could have actually died and and I would have, refu- with my first baby, I would have refused blood. I know I would. Um, and I felt so guilty afterwards that I could have just left her without a mum. Then second baby, um, we, we, four year, there's an almost four-year gap between them. And a lot had kind of happened, obviously, in my head in between having them um, because I couldn't shake that thing of I'll never shun my children. And I was start really starting to question the blood mm-hmm. um, issue because I knew it was going to be an issue for me again. Mm. Um, so I'd got to the point where second pregnancy, I went to my consultations on my own to just sort of say to them, look, this is, you know, officially I'm a Jehovah's Witness, Hmm. but I want it on my notes that if I'm going to die, Hmm. then you'll step in and give me blood. Other than that, I said, you know, if I'm going to be seriously ill, if it's going to take me years to recover, whatever, I'm going to refuse it. But Hmm. only in a life or death situation, um, I will accept it. And, and it was difficult for them to, they couldn't mm. even word it like, properly on, on my notes, but I had to sort of say to them that just don't let me die, basically. Yeah, do do yeah. whatever you can. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but at the same time, don't give me blood unless I'm going to die. Mm. And they were really understanding. Obviously, they deal mm. with this kind of thing all the time, don't they? But, um, but then I had different guilt after. It wasn't an issue. I didn't have blood. Mm. I was offered it, and I was told, you know, you're going to have even more problems. And mm. But I wasn't going to die, so I didn't take it. Sure. Um, but I had a different guilt after because I knew I would have done so um it just I think it just flagged up to it also flagged up to me the fact that I could couldn't even be honest like I didn't even he knows now but I didn't even at the sure. time tell my husband how I was mm. feeling um yeah. because you you can't just say to another Jehovah's Witness oh I think I'm going to have blood that's right because that's like I can get disfellowshipped <laughs> for that kind of thing mm. you know mm. um so that made me feel guilty as well but then after that I just started thinking well I'm not going to shun my kids and if they ever are in a situation where they need blood or I am I'm going to take blood these are like two of the fundamental teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses that that set them apart from other religions so I was just a bit like well am I even a Jehovah's Witness anymore can I even I'm a bit I'm an all or nothing person I'm not the kind of person who can just sort of be something but not do it properly So I was really thinking, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore because I'm not being authentic. I'm not being real. And then another huge thing, because I'd, I'd always said, even if it's not the truth, I've got a happy life and a happy lifestyle, and and I'm not hurting anybody. So it doesn't matter whether I believe everything or not, or you know, I was happy to just go along with everything. But it started to hit me that actually I am hurting somebody now because I'm bringing my children up in this and I don't really necessarily believe it. And also um, when I was pregnant with my second baby, um, my brother-in-law, Luke, who you've interviewed on this podcast, he got disfellowshipped. Mm. Um, So obviously I was required to shun him. um, Mm. And then... A month or two after my baby was born, one of my very best friends got disfellowshipped as well. So suddenly it became real and I was mm-hmm. required to shun mm-hmm. people that I loved. And I and I, I, I did it, but it really wasn't sitting right with me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they were just friends. You know, they weren't my children. I knew that there was no sure. way, not even for a day, would I shun my children. So mm-hmm. um, it, it all just... became super real um and then I I decided I need because I'd had kids I was thinking oh maybe it's just because I've taken my eye off the ball I was very active before pioneering all this obviously when you have kids you miss the odd meeting you you don't necessarily study for every watchtower and I just thought oh my faith's obviously got weak Hmm. and you know I just need to sort myself out um so I decided to sort of research it all again yes. and absolutely with the goal of <laughs> strengthening my weak faith, you know. Um, it all goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, and it very quickly was a bit like, whoa, <laughs> I, I just couldn't prove it to myself. And in fact, quite the opposite. Um, I, I, was, I was quite shocked, actually, at how, how much I disagreed with it. I wasn't even neutral on mm. it wasn't like I couldn't just prove it to be true 
Um, and it was it, that was the first time I'd kind of consciously disagreed. You know, before I just doubted, wasn't so sure, didn't think about it much. Um, and I was just like, oh, no, actually, this is really wrong. It's not mm. that I just don't agree with shunning. It's it's evil. It's, it's mm. you know, it's damaging. It's yeah. cruel. It's oppressive. It's horrible. I can't, you know, and, and to the point of not only should I not do it, I need to stop it from happening. <laughs> you know, I felt yeah. like a real sort of activist pull <laughs> to, right. to, you know, to just be like, wow, this is so wrong. And, and people don't realize it's wrong because they're not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and then everything just kind of felt, I, I was birthdays on, on the baby's birthdays. I was <laughs> feeling like I wanted to celebrate that. Um so did all my research on that, and I was like, "Why? Why don't we do birthdays? I don't yeah, really know why we don't do birthdays." Knowing why, you just get told you don't, and then you move on. Yeah, and yeah. I, uh, I always just used to say, whenever school friends asked me, I used to say, "Oh, because Jesus didn't celebrate his, and we just do everything Jesus did," yeah. and that was my like stock answer. Right. Um, but that's not actually Watchtower's answer. No. <laughs> Watchtower's answer is 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 very. Um, not that. Um, it's very weak, isn't it? It's yeah. yeah. There was two so people lame. in the Bible. Uh, two someone, mentions someone of died birthday. At the party. Two people yeah. died. Yeah, that's so that's it. I know, but, but I'm sorry. Yeah. Pretty much every page of the Bible, somebody dies. Well, or gets right. killed or murdered or massive. raped. Or, yeah. <laughs> if if you didn't do anything because something bad happened, yeah. you'd literally do nothing because mm-hmm. a lot of bad Absolutely. stuff happens in the Bible. By, so, by him, by God, and his uh, and his people, really, most of the exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, did you, um, Donna, when well, you um, when you did your research, did you just mm. research um, JW literature, or did you start sort of going outside of that? Big regret. This I was very um, determined to never look at an apostate website. <laughs> never. I never even Googled Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. Or I was very, and that's a culture thing, isn't it? But yeah, also, absolutely. I, you know, I was just, I also, I'll, I'll talk about her later, but my best friend's mm-hmm. brother had left. Um, oh, you've interviewed him, actually, Lloyd Evans. Oh, yes. Um, right. I, I grew up mm-hmm. with Lloyd. Oh. Um, and he'd left and started his apostate website. And, mm-hmm. Um and even though he was an old friend, I wouldn't look at his stuff. Um, so, yeah, I did it all. I got dug out the old CD-ROM mm. on my old laptop, and um, my mum still had all her old bound volumes mm. and things. I, mm. I, I did hours. It must be hundreds of hours of research, um, all just on that. And on some of the like psychology websites, when I was looking into the psychological effects of shunning and right. things like that, but yeah, not a single huh? apostate website at all. And then later, when I discovered JW Facts, I was like, I could have just looked on there because that's all. <laughs> yeah. That's all based on Watchtower literature, isn't it? There's nothing yeah. Yeah. apostate really about that mm. website. He's just done all the work for you and, and put it there. And I, I remember the first time I ever dared to look at it and I just thought, oh, 
could have saved myself a, a, a lifetime. <laughs> well, that's, that's true, but at least, so at least if I you did, did it that way. I can say, if you did it yourself yeah. and it was all JW literature, yourself. I think that's yeah. really powerful, isn't it? Yeah, so powerful. And it was, um, I think I'd have always, because of the mindset I was in, had I found something on an apostate mm. website, I'd have always thought, was it Satan or was it just their way of putting things or mm. but because I knew this was just my thoughts in my head my mm. feelings and Jehovah's Witness literature yeah but I, I, I literally deconstructed everything from a CD realm and from the web from jw.org mm. which was so powerful but it gave me the confidence as well mm. um, to know that it, this wasn't you know Satan leading me astray or anything like that um but i i just still couldn't even though i had that confidence i still couldn't um find a way to to tell anybody mm-hmm. and and i still thought well i can't leave because then you lose everything don't you um so i was really in a bit of a, a quandary really because <laughs> i didn't really mm-hmm. know what to do mm-hmm. um i eventually confided in a friend because because she actually told me that she'd had a, a major wobble over the um do you remember when the new bible came out yeah that's and they after, did an a- after i left that right well they did a, a, an agm like a special meeting mm. right. and they invited like the elite basically if you're an elder you got invited i mm. went along because i was an elder's wife mm-hmm. um and if you were a pioneer and i do remember sitting i think i think it was in 2013 not mm. not too sure, but it was around that time. I remember sitting there thinking, I've never felt so much like a fish out of water in my life. Like, I, I don't belong here at all. These are all proper Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I'm hanging on a, on a thread to save my social life and so I don't lose my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but for her, her husband wasn't an elder and it really wobbled her because she felt like a second class you know, she'd been a faithful mm. witness all her life mm. but she doesn't deserve a new bible because her husband's not an elder yet right. um and there were other things as well but she, I mean, she just told me that and she said you know i've had a wobble but i'm okay now so she felt like a safe person to talk to um so i kind of approached her just sort of saying well i'm having a wobble <laughs> how have you saved yourself kind how of thing <laughs> how did you wobble back in yeah um and her advice was you put it all in a box all your doubts put them in a box on a shelf and you don't think about them you just think about all the good things in the organization and um you know all your friends and you wouldn't even know about the paradise if it wasn't for this organization think of all the things they've done for you and and all of this, um, which I knew I could do that about false teachings or wacky stuff. Yeah, 144,000, that's another rabbit hole. <laughs> Don't believe it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but all that I can pop on a shelf, maybe. But the stuff that I realized was abusive, um, you know, like shunning was my main one but there are other abusive things you know just that whole thought crime thing is abusive in itself don't think Mm -hmm. listen to what we tell you and don't have your own thoughts all this stuff that I think crossed a line from 
just being a false teaching. Actually, no, that's actually quite dangerous. I couldn't put that in a box. Um, and, and she would say things then to me like, I wish I could crawl inside your head, erase all the ne negativity and replace it with good thoughts about the organisation. And, and I, she was coming from a good place. Sure. You know, she really was. Um, but she was basically describing brainwashing and, yes. and mind control, which it yeah. was like her only goal was keeping me in. At, mm. at whatever cost mm. and it, I, I realized she was using blackmail fear tactics you know you're going to lose all your friends you're going to die at armageddon what about your mm. kids you know responsible mm. for them dying and i know you know she's a lovely person and it was coming from a good place she was just trying to do the right mm. thing but i i realized it wasn't a healthy relationship mm. sure. um and it wasn't concerned for me personally it was concern for keeping me in, in the organisation. So at that point, I, I'd already had some therapy after I'd had my son because it was a traumatic birth. Um, I hadn't really mentioned anything about being a Jehovah's Witness in those therapy sessions, um, other than mentioning the blood a little bit and how I felt guilty. Um, but I soon realised that I needed to talk to somebody about everything. And if I was going to leave, because I, I kind of kept telling myself, I have got to leave at some point mm. or I'm going to get kicked out because one day I'm going to not shun somebody or one day I'm going to not do all these things mm -hmm. that I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to get kicked out one day anyway. Um, so I need to leave. But I didn't have any support at all. Nobody I had no friends that weren't witnesses um, or anything. So I decided to go back to... Um, my therapist just literally so I could have someone who didn't have an agenda and, and wasn't just you know concerned about keeping me in a religion just mm. somebody to talk to um, and it, it was going well um, we worked through a lot of the fear that comes from leaving and quickly deconstructed the Armageddon fear mm. thing mm. Um, a fear of losing everybody the grief and Losing your faith, because that was mm. I was grieving over that. I didn't realise, but that's quite a a loss in your life mm. when you have really believed something and now you don't. Um, so she helped me with all that. It was it was life changing really, mm. and I think the main thing was she she encouraged me or taught me how to trust myself mm -hmm. because that's a you don't trust yourself as mm. a Jehovah's Witness. That's an actual teaching, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. the heart is treacherous. Mm -hmm. um, don't lean on your own understanding. All these scriptures were all in mm. my head of like, no, I can't trust myself. What do I mm. know? I'm just a mm. useless piece of dust floating around. You know, mm. I, I have to trust God. I have to trust the Bible. And so she helped me to learn that, you, you know, you can actually trust yourself yeah. and your own mm -hmm. thoughts. So it was really helpful. Um, and then just out of the blue, uh, during a one therapy session, some repressed memories came back um of something that had happened to me as a teenager uh, in the congregation um and over the years I had told people about what had happened like kind of a watered down version mm -hmm. um but I told friends I told older ones in the congregation about what this he was an elder what this elder had done to me but nobody ever reacted or seemed shocked at all 
I mean, people used to say things like, oh, yeah, there's, there's a perv in every congregation, unfortunately. You just have to avoid them. Or, you know, it was like a kind of common... I don't know if you've ever, if anyone's ever said that to you, but a lot of people have said, oh, there's one in every cong, yeah, you know, wandering eyes, wandering hands. And it's like, really? They really yeah, shouldn't be. I, but that's, that's a good point. That had a, you know, someone that everyone could point out if you yeah. were to say that to. Yeah. I mean, I think there was, yeah. there was like certain uh, brothers in inverted mm. commas um, that would, yeah, I, I think sisters would say he's a bit handsy you know or something like that but yeah nothing um i i I was very sheltered from all that i think and or just maybe it was just very fortunate that i didn't um come across any of any of that um sort of thing nothing ever happened to me or any of my friends that i knew of anyway but yeah there was definitely (laughs) exactly but there was definitely um yeah odd comments about certain brothers the way yeah it was just a common thing that i got told yeah Yeah, there's one in every congregation and but um so so because of that i always assumed that i was just overreacting Mm. or you know making a mountain out of a molehill or something but in my soul, I knew it was wrong, hmm. what what he was doing. But because most people were like laughing it off or making light of it, hmm. it it made me doubt myself um, and and belittle it really, hmm. I suppose. Um, but as soon as I told my therapist about it, she she immediately stopped the session. Hmm. Um, she explained. She said, "I'm under safeguarding regulations and, and mandatory reporting laws." Um, hmm. She said, obviously, I'm going to carry on supporting you after this, but I need to stop this session now and report this to to the police. And she got to her feet. She stood up. And I was like, and now I know what what that was. It was validation. Nobody had ever validated Mm -hmm. what had happened. But Mm. she finally acknowledged what what I knew in my soul all along, that Mm. that was serious. But for 20 years, you know, I'd dumbed it down and I'd forgotten some of it as well. but the bits that I did remember, I, I trivialized. Mm. And because nobody ever validated me or, you know, said mm. it was wrong or supported me, um, I just kind of just pushed it to the back of my mind somehow, which I, I, I do know now is it's a common psychological response anyway, irrelevant of religion. Mm. Um, you know, victims and survivors do do that. Mm. Um but I also know that there are reasons why the Jehovah's Witnesses that I told over the years didn't react in the way that they should have. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it was it was my therapist's like immediate, quite dramatic response, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. that that confirmed everything um, that I'd been suppressing. She actually said she just said, Donna, that's sexual assault. It's a crime, <laughs> and it's serious. Just mm. those words I, I'll remember mm. her saying. And it was the first time someone had ever said it out loud, mm. what mm. I was thinking um, yeah. all those years. Um, I wasn't just overreacting or being dramatic or trying to cause trouble, all these things that I kind of told sure. myself I was yeah. doing. And, and yeah, that's all I needed, just hmm. one person, one responsible person hmm. to mm-hmm. say, that's wrong, that shouldn't have happened. I'm now going to offer you some support sure. to, to help you to deal with that. So that's what I did. But I don't, should I go back 20 years now and just sort of yeah. tell you what 
what yeah, was happening at the time because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that, that that was obviously what came back yeah um so I think I was about four, 13 14 um mm-hmm. when it started um and it, like I said it was sexual assault he was an elder in our mm-hmm. congregation um but the kind of I worked with him a lot on the ministry which is where most of it happened some of it did happen in the kingdom hall as well but he had a disability he was registered blind so he had to like link us or hold our hand or be touching mm-hmm. our back mm-hmm. or to just have assistance basically getting around the kingdom hall he, he didn't have a guide dog or anything um so on the ministry you know getting into cars putting seat belts on making drinks at brew time after the ministry all things like that he needed help with um and he was in a unique position I suppose because nobody questioned why he was so physically close to to me or or to other Mm. girls or women and you know obviously any other elder touching your back would people would be like oh what's he doing Mm. but uh, not him you know Mm. um and I I realized this again is nothing to do with religion this is quite a common um thing for for victims to do but at first for a long time I just thought I was imagining it mm. or that it was just accidental um so I just dismissed a lot of things and brushed them off um and I don't know when or how long it took but I, I did soon then realize you know you don't touch people like that by accident mm. not that often anyway um so I realized it was a problem I realized it was wrong and I knew I didn't like it but then because I'd kind of let it go on for a while it it was a bit awkward then and I just Mm -hmm. felt like I couldn't say something or and I still always had doubts that maybe it was accidental and you know if I just suddenly say something and he's like oh it was an accident that would be really Mm. embarrassing or Mm -hmm. um and and for other reasons that we'll go into later and we said we wanted to talk about the cultural things but I just didn't really didn't feel like I could say anything to anyone. Um, I was silenced <laughs> in every sense mm-hmm. of the concept. I realise that now. Mm-hmm. Um, it went on for a few years. And like I said before, I was a pioneer. He was the field service overseer. So his job was to look after the pioneers mm-hmm. and to shepherd them. So every time I tried to not work with him, he'd always manipulate the situation to say, oh, I need to work with you. I've not worked with you in a week or two and, you know, it's my job. And so even when I arranged, I'd sometimes prearranged to work with different sisters in the congregation at the group, he would say, oh, no, no, sorry, I'm going to have to split you up. I need to work with Donna today. Mm. And nobody questioned it because field service Mm. services do need to work with the pioneers. That's that's a rule. That's a thing. Um, And I tried other ways to to get away from me he'd come up to us at the meetings and say oh can you just take me into the um back school I need I need you to find a, a publication for me or mm. um you know and I'd say like oh I'm just, can you ask someone else I'm just dying for the toilet or mm-hmm. but there's only so many times you can say that and and you don't want to look rude as well you the whole thing is you know here's a, a brother in need mm. He's asking for your help, and uh, of course you, you're not going to say no. He would look like a really rude, mm. insolent teenager if you if you did that. Um, 
and he'd always ask me in front of other people as well. So he just yeah. felt bad saying no. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was just a really not not good situation at all. But I just felt trapped in it um, and silenced. Even if I did dare tell anyone, I didn't think they'd yeah. believe me because he was a respected elder. You know, he wasn't yeah. wasn't a sleazeball. <laughs> you know, he wasn't like a weirdo because there's one of them in every congregation as well isn't there but he wasn't he was everybody liked him everybody <laughs> respected him especially because of what you could achieve even though mm. you know he had this disability he was an elder he did fantastic talks and um yeah I just thought there's no way anyone would would believe me over him yeah. and then one night I was on a sleepover with some friends from the congregation and we ended up talking about him and the other girls they didn't go into a lot of detail neither did I but I think they just said things like oh he's a bit touchy-feely when you work with him isn't he and I don't like it and mm. um it, it was quite shocking but relieving for me as well I yeah. was like oh it's not just me mm. <laughs> it's doing it to everybody but I realized now that kind of made me belittle it as well because I just thought Oh, it's yeah. just what he do, what he's doing it to everybody. And one of them, I mean, this is so messed up thinking yeah. back now, but one of them said, the thing is, all the other brothers or elders in the congregation will be checking us out like by looking at us. He can't do that. So this is just his way of checking us out, <laughs> which is just bonkers. But... Wow. At the time, we were like, well, yeah, they probably are. They pro we were teenage girls. It was yeah. the 90s. Men probably were looking. You know, that that is the culture that we were mm. in at the time. And we mm. just presumed that men do look, you know, because everywhere you go, men do look. And and this was his way. But, oh, that, I mean, that is really messed up. My, mm. I remember the notes my therapist <laughs> wrote when I... Uh, when I mentioned that one, but yeah. we were <laughs> head starts writing a bit fast. Yeah. Yeah. But we were all what well, I know now, we were all just trying to make it okay. We knew the situation was wrong. We knew we couldn't really do anything about it as such. So we were trying to make it sound like it was okay or normal when and in fact it wasn't. But one of the girls, she her dad's an elder. And um she said, I'm gonna tell my dad about this. Which was great because I thought, well, no one would believe me as such, but you're going to believe your own daughter, aren't mm. you? Um, so I, th I, I remember coming away from that sleepover thinking, oh, this is great. Something's going to happen now. It's going to stop. But you know, I didn't, I didn't even want him to get in trouble or get mm. disfellowships or anything. I just wanted it to stop. Stop. Um, so I thought it would, um, but yeah, nothing. Nothing happened at all. And I asked her a few weeks later, have you told your dad? And she said, yeah. Um, my dad said, just stay away from him. <sighs> and I was like, well, that's helpful because I can't mm. stay away from him. Mm. Like, it, she wasn't a pioneer and I mm. was. Um, sure. And I know, yeah, obviously now I've just stopped pioneering, but even that didn't feel like an option for me because oh, of the right. way I've been raised. And, I, mm. you know, you don't just stop being a pioneer it's not as easy as that is it no yeah. it's really it's not questions then, isn't there? yeah why have you stopped be being pioneers is what you've wanted to do all your life and exactly. yeah, yeah. you can't say oh i'd like a career instead because <laughs> then no. you've got all the other you know you shouldn't be mm. having a career or I, I, I was mm. i was just trapped in it mm. and that elder 
um, even not long after that, he actually paired me up with him on the ministry. You know, when they say, can you work with so-and-so? Mm. You work with... And I was, I was really shocked because I didn't expect that mm. to happen, obviously. But it made me realise that he's just literally pretending that it, it's not happening. Mm. Um, mm. Happy to look the other way. Yeah. And not even keep me away from him because that might raise some sort of suspicion or um just act as in, acting as normal that you can yeah mm. yeah really could sort of not making it look sus at all mm. Mm. um now this this was my friend's dad you know he was like a second father to me um so I was hurt and confused but what that did at the time I, I don't know whether I thought, oh, why doesn't he protect me? Why? I don't know whether I thought that. All I know is at the time that rein, reinforced my thoughts that I was just overreacting and that this wasn't that mm. bad. Because mm. to me, he was someone who cared about me. Mm. And he was putting me on the ministry with this man that he knew was doing these things. So in my teenage head at the time, it was like, oh, these things aren't that bad. Stop overreacting. You know, he wouldn't make you work with him if he thought it was so bad. Yeah. Um, get over it, kind of <laughs> thing. Um, there were other sisters in the congregation as well who knew that it was happening. I remember once we were out for tea, like a dinner party thing, and I overheard one of my friend's mums talking about it to some of the other sisters. Um, they were sort of laughing about it, sort of saying it's not nice, and mm. but, but shrugging it off. So again, I thought, oh, it's mm. just what it's just what happens. You just accept whatever mm-hmm. circumstances you're in, don't you? Especially when you think it's happening to everybody. Mm. Um, and then one day at the Kingdom Hall, I remember one sister in particular actually saw him sort of stroking me. She actually, I, I could tell she she saw it because I remember mm. the look on her face. It was like a mix of like disgust and, and pity. Mm. And she then she just stared and but she just did nothing. Absolutely nothing. And again, that was just my way of thinking, oh well, this must be quite normal then, because obviously if that was a bad thing, mm. she'd have she'd have said something, surely. Or mm. or at least said something to me afterwards or asked me if I was okay or but because nothing happened, it just reinforces what it, it, what you want yeah. to be the truth. You you want it yeah. to not be a big deal. You want yeah. it to just be like, yeah. oh, this is just what every girl has to deal with. Mm. Um, you know that that's not how it feels, but mm-hmm. you, that's what you want. So mm. then when everybody else around you is acting as if this is completely normal, mm-hmm. um, that that's what you want to hear, isn't it? And you mm. you take that because it reinforces what what you want to to hear so yeah so it went on for a few years I I got a boyfriend uh, when I was 17 who I then married when I was 19 um Mm -hmm. so I'd started spending much less time in in my own congregation anyway um because this was all in Cheshire whereas Mm -hmm. I'd uh he was up in Bolton so I was over Mm -hmm. staying staying away and like I say I was 19 when I got married anyway and I'd moved away by that point, so I never really saw him again. Mm. But a few years after that, um, I heard that he'd been removed as an elder and oh. he'd moved away to a different congregation. So I uh, I asked around the trusty 
Jehovah's Witness gossip, <laughs> grapevine, where you can get any information you want at any time if you just mm-hmm. ask. Um, yeah, and I heard that it was because a younger girl in the congregation, she's about five or six years younger than me, had reported him to oh. the elders. And it had come about because an older sister um, had noticed something mm-hmm. and she'd flagged it up. And, and 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 I don't know all the details, but um, it'd been dealt with this time. You know, he'd been mm. taken off mm. as an elder. So I had mixed emotions about that. I felt mm. really guilty that someone younger than me, I felt that responsibility sure. that had I said something, mm. it, it might not have happened to her. Um, I was a bit jealous as well and the injustice of it all. I was like, why mm. did this older sister? Because this mm. sister was the one who had witnessed it with me. So I understand in her head, she must have got to the point where she was like, whoa, this is happening too much. So I understand Mm. where that came Mm. from. But um, I was just like, why didn't she Mm. help me out? You know, why wouldn't she support me? And I could have, you know, spoken up then. Mm. I I know it would have only taken one person. Mm. Um, and then it wouldn't have happened to this other girl as well, and yeah. you know all all of that. Um, so I, I think at, at, so. At this point, so this was 20, 19, 20 years ago. I still had some suppressed memories, but some things had come back, although it was blurry, and I was struggling a bit with my mental health. And I'd been to the doctors. Not again. I think this is a culture thing: depression and things, and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, within the religion, I think it's better now. But that I'm talking, this is like 2002 sort of time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was just me, but I just didn't feel like I could admit to struggling with my mental health. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I went to the doctors for the physical symptoms that I was having. Um, I turn, turned out I ended up being diagnosed with an autoimmune uh, condition, which mm-hmm. they explained is something that lies dormant anyway and, mm. and can be brought up out by mm-hmm. stressful situations mm. and things. Um, so I realised then that this is all having an impact on me physically mm. as well, mm. you know, like, mm. um, but I'd only been married a couple of years. I had a great life. I was pioneering, um, great social life in the congregation. I just, I didn't want to bring it all up mm. again and mm. rock the boat and dive into that hole. Why didn't she say something at the time? And mm. uh, so again, I just pushed it down even further. And I, and I sort of settled myself thinking, well, he's been took off. He's, he's been dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's yeah. probably okay kind of thing. And it was just mm. a bad experience. Let's just mm. forget about sure. it. Um, and then, yeah, I never really heard anything from him again or or about any anything else um until four five years ago I was in my therapy session and it it all came out Mm. um and and like I say that was then I realized that because of the way my therapist reacted I realized actually I I do need to do something about this now and I do want to do something about this I felt like I was ready and the time was right and um I'd also done you know she'd helped me as well but we'd we'd done research into predatory people and how they behave and it's not uncommon for them to carry on you know so I knew like these other girls there's there's five that I know of Hmm. um 
that have experienced the mm. same one's older than me the rest are younger than me um so i i wanted it stopped and obviously i was a mm. mother as well by that time and yeah, more yeah. mature and mm. um i was like yeah let's let's do this um so my, my therapist like i say she stood to her feet and she was like <laughs> yeah we we I've got to report this, she said. I'm under mandatory reporting laws. Mm. Um, but then she realised I'd not given her his name, mm. so she could she couldn't report it. Right. Um, so she was like, right, well that result absolves my responsibilities. <laughs> um, but what do you want to do mm. about this? Mm. And obviously, she said that you know it's up to you, and she'll support me. But there was no doubt in my mind. I I said, yeah, I'm going to go to the police. Right. Um. So I did. She, we, we rang them there and then. Um, set up. A, I had to go back to Cheshire because that's where it happened. So I had to go back there. So it, it took a few weeks for it all to get arranged, but um, it was about a four-hour police interview. I took all the details. They wanted the contact yep. details for the other girls um, for evidence, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't still in contact with them, but you know what it's like. Mm. in the truth you can get hold of people's numbers quite sure. quickly mm. can't you so um i contacted them and i'm really really sort of pleased and proud of the way i kind of handled this because it mm. it, it proves a lot I, I i just rang them up and i said um sorry no sorry to call you out of the blue obviously mm. i'm going to tell you about something that happened to me i'm not going to say any names mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just going to see if any of this resonates with you or if you've had a similar experience. Um, and if you haven't, then great. And just forget, you know, forget I called you. Hmm. Um, and I, I did this because I've always been aware of, um, there's a sort of a culture of when people leave, like they've got an ax to grind or, sure. and I didn't want it to be in any way me putting thoughts in people's heads. Not that hmm. that's ever possible but this was the paranoia i was going through mm-hmm. at the time that people are thinking out because i'm leaving i'm trying to rally troops around me or you know or whatever yeah. so I, I didn't say his name i didn't say anything I, I just said you know what what i said and, and all of them all five of them <laughs> just stopped me and said you know what you don't need to say anymore mm-hmm. i know what you're gonna say mm-hmm. i know who you're talking about and yet yeah, it happened to me too <laughs> Mm. which so although they didn't say the words i believe you mm. um they didn't need to because the fact that they before we'd I mean, even spoken you know we, we yeah. all knew and, and then obviously mm. then we did say his name we did speak about mm-hmm. um our experiences all very similar um one girl you're not supposed to classify what's worse and what's not are you mm. with with things like this but in my opinion sure. one of them did did suffer worse than mm. I did um but it it was kind of nice but kind of horrific as well mm. to to learn that five other people had had mm. similar experiences mm. um obviously I knew because two of them were from the girls from the sleepover that's right you so, I, so I knew stuff was going on but these other girls were younger and I, they weren't in my friendship circle or anything yeah. mm-hmm. um Anyway, long shot of that was that they all did agree to speak to the police. So um, I went back to the police with with their details. My statement was um, a formal one, which meant that I had to sign to say that 
um, I'd appear in court if it went to trial. Mm -hmm. But none of the other girls wanted to sign or give a formal statement. Mm. Um, I'll explain a bit more about that after, but there there was different reasons for that. Um, But they all did speak to the police informally, Mm -hmm. so that that meant that the police did have enough evidence to to bring him in for questioning, which they did. Um, But because they didn't... I think they were hoping for a confession from him. Um, You know, if they present, here's five girls saying Mm. this. and So he was questioned, but he had a solicitor who obviously advised him to say no comment and just Mm. deny everything, which is what he did. And because none of the other girls wanted to give a formal statement, um, there was nothing more the police could do. You can't take... Well, they said we we can take it to trial, but it's your word against his. There's no point going through that because... He'll just say no comment on the stand as well. And um, so, yeah, so that that was that really. Um, mm-hmm. And there was nothing more the police could do and unless it all stays on file. They did inform social services because hmm. um, he has a teenage daughter himself. So that was all flagged up. So it wasn't a complete waste hmm. of time. Hmm. Um, and then obviously everything's kept. So all it will take is one more formal complaint of a similar nature against him. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's you know the balls rolling, and and they've mm. got my. I said mm. if if it's twenty years time, yeah, I'll go mm. to court and mm. any time. Um, so hopefully that's hanging mm. over his head and and stopping mm. him from doing anything. But you just don't know. But that's all I I could do really, um, yeah, and all the police could do, which is frustrating. But that's that's the law, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. um, so after that, um. I was kind of running with it then. I thought, I can't let this drop now. Um, So I went to, I thought I'm going to have to go to his elders next. Um, Now, I went went to the police before I went to the elders because Mm. I didn't trust that the elders Mm. would handle it properly. Obviously, personal experience, they'd not handled it properly back in the day. Mm. And then by this point, I'd heard and read and met lots of people who had been in a similar situation. I also took part in the Truth Project, the um, ICSA inquiry. Yeah. Okay. can't remember. I'm getting my timing mixed up now. I don't know if this that was after I dealt with the elders or before, but it was all around this time. Sure. It was the police that put me in contact with them. Okay. So I'd met other witnesses through that who right. had similar experiences of it being right. mishandled and stuff. And so my trust in the elders wasn't wasn't great, put it that way. So is this a new set of elders? So this is where he's moved to. Yeah, so this was yeah. his new yeah, yeah, his new congregation, yeah. So um I just got their details off the charity commission website because yeah. they're trustees, yeah, yeah. aren't they? So mm-hmm. yeah, so I got their details, rang them, well, rang the the whatever, PO coordinator, whatever they're mm. called nowadays, mm. um, said what I wanted to speak about, and he set up a conference call with another elder um but like i say i'd gone to the police first because i thought if the police convict him then that's an easy job for the elders mm, just yeah. disfellowship him surely or mm. or something you know it's mm. public knowledge people know um but yeah so I, I didn't really want to involve them but felt like i had no choice really um told them everything um i even said that I could give them a copy of the police report if they wanted. 
you know, so that they, I, I said, mm. I'm happy to tell you everything. But mm-hmm. I explained the the police interview was four hours long. Um, how long have you got? I think I know, I know you're uh, busy elders. And so if you want a copy of the police report, then, then mm. you know, you can have that. They said that that wouldn't be necessary. They, they, they didn't want that, which I thought was strange, but mm. I wasn't going to yeah. force it on them. But I, I just said to them, well, I would, even if you don't want to see the report, um, I want to tell you that on the report, it's classified as sexual assault and specifically sexual touching. They're the legal terms that have, mm-hmm. have been used. Um, so I don't want you to think that it's anything less serious than that, you know, because if, if it goes legal again, that's what he's going to be, mm-hmm. um, what the word, you know, arrested for or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they said, oh, that, you know, that's very helpful. Obviously, that will set the bar for, mm. for how we handle this. Um, which I thought, great, because, you know, if you get disfellowship for smoking or adultery, then surely you're going to get disfellowship for sexual assault, you know. And then, mm. and it, it wasn't that I wanted him disfellowshipped. I didn't want him punished as such. I just wanted it to be common knowledge mm. and I wanted people to know so that, you know, nobody ever lets their kids work with him or be with him or, you know. Um, so it was never really about uh, punishing him. Um, so after I'd, I'd told the elders everything and they were lovely, you know, they were very nice, very lovely. I've never met them in person, hmm. um, but they, they were lovely, very kind, understanding. They even said, oh, you know, sorry for what happened to hmm. you. And um and but then I never forget what what he said to me. He said, "You've you've been let down by the world's justice system, mm. um, but Jehovah's justice will never let you down." And I, I rem- uh. yeah, <laughs> makes me cringe now. But at the time, that was so comforting. Mm. And I just I remember having one of those moments of, "Oh, what have I done? I shouldn't have left this organization." It was a real mm. wobble moment of. <sighs> Oh, of course. What what am I doing? I've tried to get get the world to help me. You know, I've tried a therapist. I've tried the police, and mm. oh yeah, of course, stupid me kind of thing. I should have just gone mm. to the elders in the first place. This is so loving. This is so. Now I know it was just a trauma bond, and he was just saying all the things that you know I I wanted to hear. But mm. but at the time, it did make me feel guilty for not trusting them. Um. So anyway, we had this conversation and then the the most shocking thing, I have never heard from him ever again. So he had that knowledge and seemingly didn't. Either, either of those elders. Yeah. Literally not, never heard his mm. voice since. Um, they, they took my story. Yeah, they, they took it. They did whatever they did with it and, and they never got back to me. Mm. Um, I rang a few times after that. Um, left voicemails I sent them an email they never returned any of my calls hmm. um, one of him the, the main elder he did eventually after a few months call my husband um, and he said it's best if we discuss this matter between ourselves yeah. um, as you're her spiritual family head oh, which yeah was um, obviously I wasn't going to meetings insulting. at this point and and so insulting, yeah. Mm. Um, and my husband even knew that I was really uncomfortable with mm. that. 
I'd been to the police on my own. Mm. Um, I, I was handling this all on my own mm. and I didn't need a man to speak for me and he yeah. knew that, um, but they wouldn't budge. He he said that to them. He said, you know, just because you feel I'm Donna's spiritual family head, we, we don't view this as a spiritual matter. We view it's it not spiritual, as a, is it? Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, this is kind of a legal matter, really. Mm. Mm. Uh, and Donna's quite capable of, of handling this herself. In fact, mm -hmm. it's quite important for her journey and her healing that, that she does handle this herself finally after being silenced for 20 years. She wants to use her voice now. And mm. he explained all this, but it fell on deaf ears. Mm. Um, they said any contact it had to be from him. Um, I don't know whether that's because they'd found out by this point that I'd stopped going to meetings. I'd not been to a meeting for about six months at this point. Right. And I don't know whether that makes a difference to how they deal with you. I'm not sure. We'll never know. I I, I wouldn't know. I, I never made the dizzy heights of um, eldership. <laughs> um, but I, I, I would suspect that would be the way that they would deal with it. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, My husband did but... sort of say he thinks, you know, if you were still a pioneer, maybe they would handle maybe. you differently. Yeah. But yeah. we we don't really know, yeah. do we? Um, and I told them on the phone as well. They'd said something about, oh, we need to tell your local elders, you know, because you need your shepherding. And <sighs> and I'd said, no, I don't want my local elders to know. Because mm. I'd not, like I said, I'd not been to a meeting for about five or six months. Mm. And it was, you know, it was a bit awkward. I didn't want more people knowing. I wanted to try and keep it um private at that point um but they rang my my elders anyway they they told them anyway um so my local elders then were contacting me um trying to arrange shepherding visits and um which I wasn't happy about but I soon realized cuz they won't speak to me the only way I'm going to get any information is right. if I speak to my local elders, so I had to mm. just lump that and uh, mm. and and speak to my local elders, and and then they said as well, you know, if you need any information, you need to come through us. But then that was also via my husband, and yeah. so it was all getting so watered down, yeah, yeah. Chinese whispersy, and yeah. it was all getting a bit. Nobody knew anything, which I don't know if that's a tactic, a clever tactic. Yeah, I or whether it's I, just them being just so daft that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I think they'll they'll be wanting at this point to move past this. They'll they'll mm. they'll, they'll they don't they won't want to talk about you know your yeah. experience or how you feel about it. I, I guess I, I think they'll they'll want to talk in much more general terms about spiritual matters and yeah. they want they'll want to get the bible out and start you know yeah. talking about building you up spiritually and getting, getting you strong me back to meetings getting back yeah. to meetings those sorts of things I, I mean obviously i don't know but that i yeah. would suspect that's what they yeah they really have one person i've spoken to about it did say wow yeah that that's a clever organizational tactic that and they mm. were really you know of course it makes more sense the more people that are involved and the more people that don't know the full story it's easier to just say oh i don't really know hmm. i was a bit like oh i don't know that's quite a sinister way of looking at it maybe that's what happened maybe it wasn't i don't know but yeah all I, I know I, is that nobody gave me any answers no i mean <laughs> I that's right I, i'm always um uh, uh, there are some um intelligent elders but mm. most of the elders that I've met, you know, are not the sharpest um, no. 
tools in the box in all, in all honesty so no. I, i'm i'm generally i mean even even people who are not that intelligent can obviously be um uh be scheming but yeah. um I, I often i i tend not to credit them with the um the the intelligence and the no. the conniving you know to to but anyway who knows we we yeah. don't i guess we don't well, when people say about elders don't oh he's a nice elder he's really normal yeah, exactly. They think that that's like a compliment. <laughs> well, there'll be one or two in the congregation. Oh, you've been, that you, you've yes. admitting yourself that most of them are, are yeah, exactly. then. Yeah, because yeah. you like this guy because he's normal and down to it. Or they'll say, yeah. oh, he's really switched on. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so so all the rest of the elders are not switched on. <laughs> You're just that's admitting right. that to yourself. So, mm. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, d- I don't know. But the, my local elders, they were... Like you say, there. I think I had three or four shepherding visits. Mm-hmm. I say shepherding in mm-hmm. inverted commas because mm-hmm. there was nothing encouraging about them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually said the words were, "We need to see more effort from you. We need oh. to see more effort um, for you to be returning to Jehovah and getting back to meetings and working on your forgiveness." Oh, which, great! Yeah, which is not oh, oh the right, not what you need to hear. <laughs> Um, I think there's a they, they studied they showed me that I think it's called the Return to Jehovah brochure. Oh, it's quite yes, a yeah. new one. It's like a little booklety brochure I've thing. Heard about that? Mm. Yeah, and it, it's what you give to wayward mm. delinquent people who have left. Let's <laughs> try and get them to come back. And there's a yeah. um, illustration in it of holding a stone out at arm's length. You know, and it feels okay at first, and then after a while it gets really heavy, and then after a while it's all you can think about. And and he said that's that's you not forgiving this guy um you know it might feel quite justified now to not forgive him but the the longer you go on not forgiving him the more resentment you're going to build and and all this which he he did have a point well so where did he go to for his um his masters in um psychology and counseling i'm just interested yeah, exactly. And I did discuss this with my therapist. She was disgusted, obviously, yeah. that he'd said this to someone who was in the mm. middle of dealing mm. with it all. But years later, as part of your healing and your closure and dealing with it, forgiveness is something that you can think about. Nobody's ever required to forgive their abuser, but that's a personal choice that, that people um come to themselves and it works for some people and it doesn't for mm. others but nobody should ever be required to no. to forgive them um mm. for me personally it is a route i've gone down mm. but it was the wrong thing for him to do to sit mm. in my living room and Absolutely. tell me that i had to forgive him mm. um mm-hmm. because he even insinuated that I, he wanted me back at meetings he wanted me to return to jehovah but i couldn't do that until i'd forgiven this guy Mm. and so it was like well so you're saying I'm not even worthy of being a witness until I've forgiven him and it was all very Mm. just wasn't the right time for me Mm. to be dealing with it and and like you say with no qualifications or even education on psychology or or anything what what on earth did he think he was doing really he's lucky that I was in therapy myself and was quite I've always been a bit of a psychology geek and I'm mm. you know, I, I know stuff about mm. it, but but somebody else in that situation, that could have been so damaging the way they handled it. Mm. But um yeah, so so they kept coming 
for these shepherding visits and then eventually they they came I, I said I don't want any more shepherding I said I think it's doing more harm than good you know when you've got families you go look after your own families leave me be kind of thing but then they rang to say well we're not coming to shepherd you we're coming because we've we've got an outcome this was about six months later we've heard obviously i'd never heard from those original elders again Mm -hmm. um and i'd not really heard much of an update from our elders but our elders my local elders Mm -hmm. um so that yeah they said we'll we'll come around and we'll you know we'll give you the the lowdown kind of thing um so they just came around and they said the matter has been handled and he has received some received and accepted counsel, which um, I think. So my husband was an elder, obviously, and I've read the Shepherd the Flock of God book myself as well now, even though you're not supposed to. But what what we think that means is that he's just been counselled because if you have a judicial, it can only a judicial hearing, you know, mm-hmm. with the three elders mm-hmm. questioning you and judging you. That can only go one of two ways. One's a reproof if you're deemed repentant, and the other is disfellowshipping if you're deemed unrepentant. Well, there's no way he can be reproved and, and proved repentant because he lied to the police, and, and you can be disfellowshipped for lying as well, can't you? Mm. But lying to the police proves that you're not repentant. Um, he, He's not apologised or ma- made amends for anything that he's done. Um, so from the elders book point of view, he, he can't, I think, I think the expression is show works of repentance or something. Um, so he's not done any of those things. Mm. He's not even admitted to it. Mm. Um, Mm. so what, what we can deduce from it is that he didn't even have a judicial Mm. uh, committee. He's just had a chat with an elder and had a slap on the wrist and been read some scriptures and, um, now I have, I asked it, and my husband explained all this to the two elders that came round, saying, "Well, obviously he's not had a judicial because of X, Y, and Z," and, and talked elder language with with mm-hmm. them, and that they didn't confirm or deny anything. They just said, "We can't comment," mm-hmm. you know, no no mm-hmm. comment on that. Um, and anything I asked them, I said, "Well, you know, has has he said he's sorry? Has he mm-hmm. um, has he even admitted it? Oh, can't comment, can't comment, can't comment." Um, and then they said, you are not to contact the his elders ever again about this. The matter is closed. And they were like really quite firm and, and quite harsh about that. Like, this is it now. You don't go dragging this up again. The matter has been dealt with scripturally and spiritually and and that's it now. Um, so we were like, well, what? But we've not had any answers you know, I, I said you've got, we talked about the two witness rule, mm. um, which according to Jehovah's Witnesses, you have to either have a, an eyewitness mm. or if you've got more than two people that will testify to the same thing from the same yeah. person, that class is two witnesses as well. I was like, well, you've got five. Mm. And I knew for a fact that all five of the girls were happy to talk to the elders, more happy to talk to the elders than they were to talk to the police. Yeah. Because they're all yeah. still witnesses, so they trust right. the elders, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I know they've they've got the five witness rule going on. So the whole thing, there was just no answers. It was like, how can you have somebody do something and there's five witnesses to it, hmm. but you don't even put him in a judicial? 
and I said as well at the time, if I'd come to you with a confession that I'd fooled around with an elder when I was 15 and had a consensual whatever on the ministry with him, Mm -hmm. I'd be in a judicial. So where Mm -hmm. has it gone wrong that I've told you that this guy did these things unconsensually and to a minor, Mm -hmm. someone under 16, and then there's five other people saying it as well, and he's not in a judicial, mm. you know. Or, or if I'd if I'd admitted to doing something with a boyfriend when I was fifteen, I'd have been in a judicial. It, it, I said that there's a real disconnect here. Yeah. That anything I do consensually that's against the the Bible winds me in a judicial without doubt. Mm. But things that he does unconsensually and against the Bible don't don't land him in a judicial Mm -hmm. what's going on in your organization Uh, and again there was just a lot of shaking the head shrugging the shoulders we (laughs) can't really comment we haven't dealt with this Uh, again they they, they called themselves the middlemen we're just the middlemen and I said well I I didn't want you to be the middlemen middlemen I thought they should have yeah yeah exactly (laughs) They should have dealt with it. Well, you shouldn't be the middlemen if you're not no. if you can't even give me any information. And mm. but they didn't understand. They just said, you know, it sounds like you're just wanting more bait, more, you know. And I was like, well, no, I, ju- I just want answers. I, I just want to know how it's been dealt with, yeah. please, because I've spent my life in an organisation that mm. I've I've believed handles things the Bible's way. You know, you can't smoke or get too carried away with your boyfriend without getting seriously talked to by the elders. Mm. So I really believe that this religion was moraler than moral, you know, high up there. How on earth is this guy not being dragged across the coals for what Mm. he's done when I've got Mm. friends who have been, you know, grueled for three hours about spending an evening at the boyfriend's house, that this is just not right. Mm. Um, But again, yeah, it was all just... We can't comment. Like, we don't know, and yeah. you just need to get back to meetings. Really, and that was it. They, they really, um, I, I guess, a big motivator during a lot of these situations is to is to just kind of let's just put it all behind us. Let's just yeah. Um, there was a lot let's of just, that. Let's um, move on. Let's just let's move yeah. on. Let's and um, leave you know. it to Jehovah. That as well. Oh, there you go. There's a yeah. There's a thought. If, if this has yeah. If this has mm. been handled wrong, Donna, mm, right. then you can trust that Jehovah will. Mm. We'll sort this out. You don't need to worry. We're not the ones that, um, oh, that was another one they kept quoting, vengeance is mine, says Jehovah. It's not up to you to be getting vengeance. And I'm like, I don't want vengeance. I want children protecting. And I want, you know, but it was all falling on deaf ears anyway. Mm. Um, So my husband actually decided to write to the elders, even though they told us you don't ever contact these elders again. My husband as an elder wrote to them sort of saying mm. using all the elder language and jargon and I think it, one was brazen conduct or all the the things that are in the elders book that should land you in a judicial mm. um you know and just saying have you thought about this have you thought about this have you uh, can you just confirm to me that you've done this procedure and it was all a procedural sort of letter mm. um just hoping to get some reassurance that at least it's been handled from an elder's point of view properly 
Um, and they never wrote back to him. He never never contacted him again. All he ever got was a phone call off one of our local elders to say, we're acknowledging, they're acknowledging that they've received your letter, but um, they can't comment on any of the questions in it. So that that was that batted out of, of the court again. Um, so then I wrote to the branch to London Bethel. Mm-hmm. Um, a really lengthy letter. I told them the whole story because again I didn't trust that they're they're supposed to be informed when stuff like this is happening. Mm-hmm. And but I, I'd lost my trust in everything. So I, I told them the whole story again, included the police report. Um and I, I asked for them to respond. To, to just acknowledge um, that, that this is logged somewhere. Um, and I said as well, can you explain to me how my data is being stored in connection with this? Because in theory now, um, he shouldn't be ever allowed to be a servant or an elder mm. or anything. Mm. Um, so I thought, well, you're obviously holding my data in in connection to that mm. because there'll have to be a reason why. And so I just wanted to know what mm. you know, how what mm. what what have you got on me, basically? Yeah. Um. It, is it is it sort of stored on some database somewhere that I've reported this allegation? You know, even if you don't mm. believe it or not. And I wanted some clarification and some guidance on it all. Um. And they never wrote back. I sent the letter, the same letter, three times over the space of about four months. Sent one of them recorded delivery. Never got a response. Nothing. Not even a phone call to acknowledge or not even a response to say we're not responding or we're not telling you anything. Just just literally got nothing. Um, so then I wrote to the Charity Commission, sent them everything. Right. Um, yeah. Now they said they got back to me quite quickly within about two days and said that there's an ongoing investigation into the Jehovah's Witnesses anyway by the Charity right. Commission, which is separate oh, to the, the, I don't know if you heard about the ICSA one that mm-hmm. came to a yeah. conclusion recently, but this yeah. Charity Commission one is a separate one, but it kind of runs alongside the, right. the okay. ICSA one. Now at the time he said, so this was four years ago now, but he, he said at the time it's it's ongoing and it's going to go on. For a long time, he right. said, because um, this is nowhere near an isolated mm. incident, you know, and your complaint just gets added mm. to a long list of other things that we are investigating. And and, yeah. and he said, you know, your name's in the system now. When it's the investigation is over, you'll get informed. And like I said, that was four years ago, and I've still not heard, well, so they must still be, no, no. It must still these, be going on, the investigation, to go slowly, don't they? Um, so, yeah, look, looking looking back on all of this, uh, Donna, um, yeah. how would you describe your feelings about the organisation then that you were raised in, and that um, you know you spent such a lot of your time uh, devoted to? How how do you kind of think about it now, given what's happened to you? Um, it, it differs on different days, to be honest. Because, <laughs> um, like I said, I, I was a happy Jehovah's Witness, mm. and um, a lot of the people that have been in my life have been lovely people. Mm. Um, turns out it was all conditional because I have lost pretty much every single one of them. But um, at the time it felt good mm. and I felt like I was loved and it all was fine. Um, 
but really I think my, my overriding feeling actually if you ask me just about the organization taking yeah. away the emotion and, and the people mm-hmm. uh I think it's a, a dangerous cult really a, a, a destructive I think it, it can tries to control people's lives again dependent on how involved people want to be in it um mm. but if you're like me who just if you're doing something you do it properly um mm. then it, it really does take over your life and, and and control your life and in 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 some ways in quite an abusive mm. way really mm. because of the way you've, you're forced to treat people and and things so i've i've not got a very good I don't hold them in high esteem, put it that way. Um, But I will always caveat that by saying some of the nicest people I've ever Mm. had the fortune to cross paths with have have been Jehovah's Witnesses and and, and to a large extent they're victims themselves. So, absolutely. You know, nothing but love and Mm. um, sympathy really for them um, because I understand why they do the things that they do. Sure. Um, but I, I think a lot of um, ex-witness activists and or apostates um, say that it's the policies, you know, that are the problem, mm. which I, I absolutely yeah. do agree with. And, and mm. policies need to change; they do. Um, but personally, for me, I think it's more the culture that's the problem. Um, certainly in my case, yes, different policies would have protected me. If they had a policy that if you hear anything about child abuse, you report straight to the police, mm. that elder whose daughter told him would have gone to the police. And so if mm. that was a policy, I would have been better protected. Yeah. So, the, the you know, the activists that are they're doing great work with, with that. Um, but the, the problem I feel is like you policies can change overnight. Like if you look at what happened in Australia, they just got told, well, we're taking your charity status away from you. Mm. And all of a sudden Jehovah provides them Mm. with new light to to, to say, yeah, you can change that policy. (laughs) Um, So Mm. policies can't, you know, if the right people in government get get involved and like I say, threaten them with having to pay tax, um, policies will change. Um, So I'm quite hopeful that 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 will change um I, you know I, I trust the activists I, I even trust the government to, in that extent child protection in in general is getting better um but what worries me is that even if policies change overnight culture sometimes never changes um and that was so it about the culture then that, that you yeah uh, that you think, tell us about that yeah i just feel there was so much um involved at, at the time which which you could say oh that was 20 years ago and mm. but when you actually think about it, it a lot of it's the same now little things like you don't take a brother to court so one of the i said one of the girls wouldn't sign you know and, and give a formal statement that was her reason well the bible says i can't take a brother to court mm. so my hands are tied mm. and i was like well, you can take a paedophile to court that, that's not what that scripture means no, no. but but that was her culture that, you know, mm. she just couldn't get past it. And there might have been other things as well, obviously, but that that's what she said. Um, there's there's things like that that I know at the time I thought about that um, 
you have to respect the elders. That's mm. that's not a case of oh, if they earn your respect, it's they are appointed by Jehovah. Yep. They are Jehovah's shepherds. Um, those scriptures that you get seem to get read a lot. Assign them double honor. Um, mm. Like mm. They're, they're worthy, literally, of double the honor you you would give to anybody else. Um, mm. Respect them. Be obedient to those taking the lead. Be submissive, and all everyone's supposed to be submissive to the elders, mm. but mm. women in particular are to be submissive yeah. in in general. <laughs> so it's almost like a double submissiveness now while the bible is primarily directing all its submissive stuff at married women as young girls we were taught that we can practice being submissive by respecting the elders i've been told that so many times or i've heard sisters answer up saying all young girls in the congregation can can practice at being good wives by being submissive now to the elders and to the older ones in the congregation. And mm. I mean, you're crossing a line into purity culture <laughs> with all of that and, and that culture. Mm. Um, but that, that was literally, he, you know, he's an elder, he's a man, yeah. I'm a woman and a girl and you've got to respect them and, and be submissive and don't snap at them. Don't do, you know, nothing. Yeah. Well don't, and don't challenge. Um, so no the, the power, no, the power differential is, is massive, isn't it? As an elder. Yep. And, um, yeah, we've, we've talked about this before that, um, the, you know, I've, I've never believed that witnesses in general think it's okay that these things happen. Um, no, but, but I not. think it, it, if you create a situation where, the man is the little king of his household, and then the you know you got the elders who are the king and the the courtiers of the um you know of the congregation and the lords of the, of the congregation, and that's that's essentially you know they're they're really not open to any criticism. Um, you hear that constantly from the platform. You know you shouldn't be criticizing the elders. You get the odd drama about these yeah. uh, these you know when the Israelites were were in the wilderness and they were always moaning about the, the you know, so you get that message constantly, don't you? Yeah, about even, if, even if they're wrong. Absolutely. Follow them absolutely. anyway because yeah, Jehovah will sort it out and, and all that matters is your obedience, even if you know they're yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. You, it, you, you still follow them and you still obey this, them. And, that's right. Yeah. And, and you're constantly fed that. So... Yeah. No surprise that um, some of those men in those positions of power uh, yeah. abuse that authority, you know, and yeah. they're able to, aren't they? Yeah, and even, uh, you know, you don't, there's the other one, uh, don't bring reproach on Jehovah's name. Uh, their reputation is is so important. My mum my used to say, oh, can you imagine, you know, if you report something, you know, if, if any witness ever gets in trouble, it's always the, the newspapers always say it like, oh, Jehovah's Witness gets a parking ticket or Jehovah's Witness does this. And there's that sort of fear of the media, like they're out to get us all the time. And so that was a big one as well. Don't don't bring reproach on Jehovah's name. Absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. But it's, it's not even... The, the young people, um, a, a quick example of how it affects everybody. I, I was, um, when I was about 15, 16, there was this family, well, a, a couple in our congregation, really nice. He was an elder. You know, one of these couples that invite all the teenagers around to watch movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look, really lovely, lovely couple. Um, 
and he was we were there we were all friends as well as you know we wouldn't really think of him as an elder and um, we were around for a movie night at their house once and he um, I went into the kitchen to get a drink and was having a chat with him and I said sort of a oh can I ask you a you know a hypothetical sort of question um, and described some of what was happening um, as as if it was happening to a friend of mine Mm. Um, and I said you know what what should she do what what would you what Mm. should I tell her she should do and he said well if there's no evidence and there's no two witnesses and he doesn't confess then it's very unlikely that she'll be believed and and at this time I didn't think there was anybody else or Mm. any Mm. other witnesses or anything but he even said they would believe the elder because he told me about there was a girl in our circuit who had she'd accused an elder of something similar. He'd been taken off as an elder because there was the rule, I don't know if it's still a rule, but if you've been accused of something, you, you're not um, without reproach or something. So oh, he, he had okay. to step down as being an elder, mm. but he wasn't disfellowshipped or anything. Right. But yeah. then it turned out she got disfellowshipped for lying. Because it can't he sort of counter argument or whatever. So mm-hmm. he he told me that and I was like, whoa, that that could happen mm-hmm. to me. Um but but I I've only thought about it recently that even you know, he he was a really good guy. He, he still is, I presume, he doesn't speak to me anymore, but um <laughs> he I think in his gut, in his core, he would have wanted to have done the right thing. But he was did he did do the right thing for me at, at that time because I think he was looking out for me in the setting of the culture that mm. we were both immersed in. He mm. knew that it wasn't going to end well for me. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he knew I was talking about myself. Talking about yourself. Put it yeah. that way, yeah. yeah. Um, mm. But 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 he knew that it wasn't going to end well for me if if yeah. I brought it up, and because my parents were splitting up at the time as well. And that's another culture thing. Yeah. Um, it, it's a bit different now, but back in the 90s, broken families were kind of substandard Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, it yeah. was the elders and their wives and their perfect little families. And mm. if you were I was a bit of a scandal, not part it? of that, yeah, mm. you were then sort of viewed as mm. not not quite good enough. Um, mm. And I was going through all that feeling, all those feelings at the time as well. Um, and I, I just thought they would say she's from a dysfunctional family. She's a troubled teenager. She's, mm. you know, making stuff up. Maybe she wants attention or she's going off the rails. Or Yeah. It, it's, there it's, wasn't it's a, elders' children were viewed yeah, as absolutely. hierarchy. And, and we, yeah. if you're from mm. a, a, you know, if your dad's disfellowshipped, you're almost scum of the earth. You're almost like a worldly person. <laughs> well, so, you're a fatherless boy or fatherless yeah, girl, aren't you? Exactly. So, so in my head, it was like well-respected, <laughs> yeah, wonderful yeah. elder mm. versus troubled teenager who, yeah, she tries her best. She's been pioneering forever, but, you know, she might be going off the rails. And I had no chance. And, and this elder knew that. Um mm. So I think it shows that, that that whole culture has an effect on grown, mature men. Absolutely. Not, not, not just teenage girls or, you know, or kids. Or... No one's safe from the culture. No, exactly. It, that's yeah. what makes the culture a big problem, I think. Because yeah. he is an, inter- you know, he's one of those mm. elders who would say he's switched on, he's um, 
up to date. You know, he's not like an old fashioned mm. fuddy duddy. He, you know, he's he was sort of as good as they got kind of thing. But he still yeah. he still couldn't do the right thing. Um, although I do, I will always say that I think he did the right thing for me at the time because sure. mm. it wouldn't have ended well for me if I'd yeah. have said something at the time. I know it wouldn't. Um, but that's the culture of them. They just protect. They have to protect their reputation and their and it's their ideas as well. You know, they they feel like they're living in this utopia, this spiritual paradise, which is so much better than the world. And they need to protect that. If they believe me, then they'll believe that it maybe happens to more people. And then they're just as bad as the Catholics, which they would hate to think that, that yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, and they need to protect that. And, and protecting their identity as the one true religion was more important than protecting one little girl who didn't really matter. So. Mm. Yeah, know, it's, that, it's a good question. Of, yeah, it's a good question about whether you know cult. What comes first? Um, do do mm. does society need to um, in, insist on the policy changes, and then the culture might follow, or mm. you know, is it about getting at the culture? I think for um, closed groups like Jehovah's Witnesses, it's it's almost impossible for. Um, a, a government to change a culture that but what they can yeah. do is is in impose legislation that means that they have to do certain things and that's where yeah. i think we're being failed by governments in the west yeah um, i agree yeah. I, I understand why they're doing it because they're, they're afraid of um uh, you know that religious freedom is really really important i i totally understand yeah. that and respect that but um i think they're given too much um leeway and too much deference yeah um yeah. and that hopefully that's you know because of the work that a lot of people are doing you included you know you're bringing attention to yeah well, uh, to yeah. this and that you know maybe that will will help um, yeah and then the cultural side of it i think that's something that jehovah's witnesses somehow um have got to come to grips with themselves yeah. um at the moment i just don't see that uh, as no, I don't. I'm just hopeful that the younger generation are going to inject mm. some, yeah, more modern, forward thinking. Um, but the, the problem to is it that all, they're so, to everything. But they're so the the organisation is so good at keeping them away yeah. from the things. Yeah, they're would... rebellious if they think anything exactly. other. So yeah, it's quite likely so that only a few might get through. <laughs> um, right. And and a lot of them will just think. I just go right. Oh, I'm out of here. Yeah. yeah exactly. Not a lot of people yeah. want to stick around. I have actually got one friend who said she she's absolutely a PMO. And she yeah. said, I'm just sticking around because I think I might be able to do some good here and, wow. and make some changes. Which, you know, she's staying in for her family and, and everything. Yeah, sure. Um, but she's thinking, while I'm in here, I may mm. as well try and but she's a very small fish in a very big absolutely Pond, unfortunately because most people just need to get power. out of there yeah exactly. and how much power has a woman got as well <laughs> yeah exactly. it's not even a like a man yeah so um, um yeah it's, it's, yeah it's but really that cool. that whole culture of protect mm. our reputation yeah. um yeah. Well, literally name, protect that more exactly the than, very name is jehovah's witnesses so the mm. very name says we are we yes, are here yeah. to testify to jehovah yeah. so anything that is going to besmirch that that name yeah. 
um, is completely contrary to the the very reason for their existence, their mission statement that is actually yeah. in their name. So that's I think that's the difficulty. Um, yeah. And somehow and they have to come to terms with that. Bitter pill to swallow when you think that you're just a little person that mm. they need to silence you and shut you up and, and almost ruin your life mm. because protecting you or standing up for you won't do well for that's their organization second, exactly yeah. that's that comes way down um, the list actually of important things in their yeah. in their view you know the most important thing yeah. is jehovah's name and then unfortunately you've got um uh, you know in, in many situations i think you've got you've got an old boys network of um yeah. you know brother such and such i've known brother such and such for years you know and then yeah. he knows the circuit overseer and the circuit overseers yeah. so that you've got no chance you know when you're, no. you're battling this i think the way they view the literature as well is also a cultural thing that's quite damaging because hmm. i you know we, we could pick up a newspaper article from the 1950s and read it and it could be on about you know women you need to have your dinner on the table when your husband comes yeah. in and we just go oh that was yeah. 50 years ago well more than 50 years ago now 70 years ago that's all old nonsense and we laugh it off but when you read back through a bound volume to something that you've read in the 70s or the 80s you're not allowed to do that because that's spiritual food and that's not old news mm-hmm. or old culture mm-hmm. but that was from jehovah and and that doesn't get old I mean, the Bible's thousands of years old, but apparently it's still all relevant for today. And that's the culture of how all the spiritual food, all the literature is viewed Mm. as well. Unless it's been actually replaced by Mm. new light, Mm. Mm. it's all still very relevant. I wanted to read one, actually, because I remember reading this at the time, and it was from a, um, got it on here, it's an await from 1984, which... I, I will have just, like I said earlier, you feel I felt like I was raised by the organisation. Mm-hmm. I I went to bound volumes for advice on, you know, what do I do? How do I handle this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do remember reading this one, even though it was from 1984, but it, at the time it, in the 90s, it, it, it wasn't that old. <laughs> but also, even though it was maybe 10 years old, in my head, it was still very relevant. And it was spiritual food from Jehovah. So it it's it didn't represent an old idea or anything. Um so yeah, it's from an awake, 1984, February. And it's the whole article is talking about rape and how you, you know, if you don't scream, hmm. then you're compliant and you could end up uh, being done for fornication hmm. and which all of that was hmm. scary because I was thinking, hmm. well, I'm not. I'm not pushing him away. I'm not punching him. I'm yeah. kind of going along with it. Am I guilty of it? You know, of oh, some misconduct yeah. here or, but then this bit was um, under the head in treating respectfully. It says the intended victim should remember that the rapist is a human. No doubt there are circumstances in his life that have precipitated his behavior. So although a woman should not cower in fear and permit a rapist to intimidate her, at the same time, she should treat him understandingly as a fellow human. And I do remember, I'm quite an you know empathetic sort of person, and I did like mm. the guy as a, as a person. Mm. He was a family friend, and and I do remember reading that at the time and thinking, oh yeah, he's probably just got some stuff going on himself, and you know, it's not really his fault, and it it really 
to to think that that's how you should view somebody who is assaulting yeah. you it's disgusting really okay. um like that that really shouldn't be allowed to have been printed but no. nobody should ever be told to to treat somebody with respect who who's raping them or assaulting them or, or no. anything but no. but that's not the only article that says stuff like that you know mm. i could give you hundreds i've, I've read mm. them all i've read a lot of them at the time and i've read more mm. since um but but that whole literature thing of saying that it's not old news it's not old light it's all mm. very current mm. is such a damaging part of the culture because anything mm. you read in a bound volume you have to take as coming directly from jehovah and via the faithful and discreet slave and and that is how you should think. And and that's what I did. I I literally just thought, yeah. oh right, well that's what they're telling me I have to think about and how I have to feel about him. Yeah. And I just took that on as as my and, own thoughts. And, and and as you're reading that, as you're you know you're you're internalizing that, especially as a young person, you know you're you're yeah. This exactly, is becoming yeah. you know what what you believe now because you're reading yeah. it from from this source that you trust and as you say you you've been raised by this organization essentially yeah. so yeah it's, it's it becomes your belief it becomes your yeah. standards you of, take it on behavior. as your own yeah exactly. but the, the reason i knew that um that that wasn't really me that 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 was part of me sort of putting on the new personality which is mm. a, a whole thing isn't it but mm. we had um a geography teacher at school at my high school so this was all around the same time that all of this was happening and he did after after I'd left school, he did end up going to prison. He was a proper right. pervert. Um, but we all knew about him. Um, he would take you into the stock room and make you climb up a ladder to get a new book and to touch up your skirt. And, you know, he was a proper perv, horrible man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I stayed away from him. He would say, like, come sit at the front of the class with me and I'll help you. And I knew I'd heard the stories. He puts his hand on your leg when he'd do that. And so I just was like, no, I'm all right, thanks. I don't need to. And I stayed away from him. Mm. Um, and then one day as I was leaving the classroom, he smacked my bum as I was walking out. And I instantly, didn't even think about it, I spun on my heels, whacked his arm away, to the point where he kind of bashed his hand into the <laughs> door handle and really hurt his hand. Mm. And I said something like, what the hell do you think you do? You know, I like really mm. squared up to him. And he was big. I was a tiny little thing. And um, But I just instantly didn't accept that behavior. And then another time I was coming out of the hairdressers, the guy was walking towards me, muttering something. Um, and as I, as we crossed paths he smacked me on the bum and I turned around and I waxed him one I was like what the hell are you? you can't behave like that I would shout and then men in bars in the 90s it happened all the time and I would always never put up with it if I saw it happening to someone else or if it happened to me I even got a, a guy kicked out of a bar once after having a debate with a bouncer about you know he shouldn't be here and so it, it kind of got me thinking and I've only I used to wonder at the time, why am I so outspoken with all these people? But I'm just literally almost welcoming it to the, you know, I'm so not stopping him doing it, but I I instantly stop everybody else doing it to the point of being considered quite bolshy and ballsy. Mm. Um, And all I can think is, was it it was the, the culture 
But also, when I got really thinking about it, and it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks, was that I obviously, like on the streets or in a bar or at school, I felt safe enough and empowered enough <laughs> to smack a man's hand away. Mm. And if that hadn't worked, you know, so if um, if the teacher had carried on or I, I would have shouted for some help, safe in the knowledge that another teacher would have run in. Or, you know, if I was in a bar, um, the, the bouncer would have come. Or And sure. that feeling of I didn't feel safe mm. in the Kingdom Hall. I, like I'm, mm. I'm safer in a bar than I am. <laughs> in a kingdom hall wow. uh, or i feel like more people are looking out for me mm. in a bar um than they are in a kingdom hall that that was just i think that's 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 almost and... your, your headline really for this yeah. discussion you know you you, you yeah. felt safer in a bar than in a kingdom hall yeah that's yeah um, and and it, it also mm. not it wasn't just about how i felt i actually was safer yes yeah wasn't it because mm. Because those people were sticking up for me, whereas mm. the Jehovah's Witnesses weren't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that was quite a hit-me-like-a-ton-of-brick mm. sort of moment. of, mm. um, And that was one of the reasons I knew as well I needed to get my kids out mm-hmm. yeah. of their religion yeah. because you can't... Um, you, you need to feel safe. And, and that it's supposed to be Jehovah's house. It's supposed to be the safest yeah. place you'll ever be. And actually it was the scene of one of the most damaging things that's mm. ever happened to me. And I was literally more safe in a dodgy bar in the nineties yeah. than I yeah. was in a, in a mm. kingdom hall or in a religion in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you say, that sums it all up really. It kind of does, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've, um, we've, we've been going for, for nearly two hours, Donna. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> bumper episode um so listen um i i would like to just get a little bit in about uh your life now um yep. we don't need to go into loads of details but it'd be great to to hear about you know how um how you are now and how you've managed to um to, to leave the organization and stuff yeah um well how i've managed to leave was I, i've kind of faded over sure. the years um I really did my best to sort of limit any damage um, because my husband's still a Jehovah's Witness and all my friends were family. And um, Looking back now, although I tried my best, it was all inevitable. I, I've really tried to keep my friends mm. um, one by one. They kind of, I mean, I mean, some literally dropped me overnight. Oh, you don't go to meetings anymore. Well, that's it. Mm. Um, but but some sort of hung on, clung on. Um, but I I think my main point, what what I like to sort of think, or what what actually happened is, I. I never actually left the organization. Like I didn't hand in a letter of resignation Mm. or I didn't have one of those moments that you hear a lot of people say where, oh, I stood up in the middle of the meeting and I knew that was it and, you know, and I was out or I told an elder or I I didn't ever have that. Um, So I I, I didn't leave. I didn't leave because I was abused by an elder. 
Mm. In fact, I stayed in for 20 odd years after that happened, crazily enough. Um, I didn't leave because um, the abuse was covered up and I didn't get justice. I didn't leave because I found out about all, you know, the false teachings and the inaccuracies and things when I did research. I didn't leave because of all the harmful policies or practices that I've, you know, realised about. And I didn't leave because I was weak or didn't have enough faith. I wasn't stumbled. The fact is I didn't leave at all. I just stopped going to meetings for a while whilst I was dealing with a really traumatic horrific event of memories that had come back and I was depressed and I needed some space to sort my head out and I I genuinely had the intention of going back so I never left I just didn't go back um and and the reason I didn't go back was because of the way I was treated by everybody during that that spell and and that again is a culture thing that the second you stop towing the line or the second you're not perceived to be this perfect little witness, you know, everybody kind of just dumps you, mm. um, which is so harsh. Like I, like I've already said, I was a happy Jehovah's witness. I loved my friend. Like I used to gloat about my friends. You know, I'd say I've got the best friends in the world. And um, I genuinely thought, you could not get better friendships than I had. Um, so th- that was quite a hard <laughs> pill to swallow when you realise actually it was all conditional. Um, there's a there's a book, I don't know if you've read it, Leaving the Witness, called by Amber Scora. She was... Uh, not read that book yet, but... I'm, really good, I'd recommend yeah, it. Yeah, yeah she was a talk, missionary yeah. in China. That's right. So, yeah, it's a really good book. But a line in that, she says... Um, it takes very little time to lose a lifetime of people. And mm. it, that hit me because it was like, yeah, literally overnight, mm. um, most of them kind of just just disappeared. Um, and you just, it, it's not only that, you you grieve for your faith as well. I, I, I genuinely didn't want to leave. I, I really, really wanted it to be the truth. I, I, I'm absolutely 100% genuine when I say mm. what I was doing that research, like my friends at the time said, oh, you're just being very negative and you're looking for flaws and you're, you know, you're looking for problems. I really wasn't. I was looking for any, any little scrap. I'd have taken a scrap. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, and they don't really understand that. No. It used to really annoy me when they said I was negative. I was like, well, mm-hmm. what's positive about being abused by an elder? What what you're expecting me to look on the bright side, you know, they were accusing me of being negative, but it was a negative situation. But um, I, I genuinely wasn't looking for a reason to leave. I know people do do that, um, but I, I I wasn't. I really really wanted it to be the truth, um, and I was I was gutted when I realised it wasn't. Um, but all that said, um, and I know that. What I've talked about today, I sort of describe as only being a tiny little part of my story. I know it's a serious issue and it's a big Mm. issue, but I'd say it's maybe 10% of my life as a witness and the reasons I was and the reasons I'm not anymore. Um, But I, I do feel like 
I've, I've got a friend who says everything happens for a reason in, in life. And, and if that's true, this might sound really messed up, but if, if that is true, I would take it all again and live my life the, the exact same way because it, it got me out eventually mm. and it got my kids out. I think maybe if these things hadn't happened, I might have just carried on plodding mm. on and floating along in the organisation. And and the reason I say I'm glad that, that that happened is because life on the outside of it is so much better than what it was. And, and that's coming from someone who was a happy Jehovah's Witness. I, my social life was amazing. I had amazing holidays with all my friends, parties. You know, we I was not a miserable Jehovah's Witness mm-hmm. at all. Um, so why is it so much better? I, I mean, you can understand, can't you? If someone is miserable and then they leave and they're like, oh, oh yeah. that's great. But for yeah. me, I was so happy, mm-hmm. but I've left and I'm even happier. Mm-hmm. So it's like, right. it, I, I, don't, I don't think there would be anybody would leave and not be happier for it because mm. I was the happiest Jehovah's Witness. I was annoyingly happy <laughs> as a Jehovah's Witness. I was really like kind of person. Um, you know, all my convention selfies and mm. all this mm. sprawled all over my Instagram. And I loved life. I loved my family. Uh, my friends were my family. Mm. Loved it all. Um, but then when you you finally do leave and then you you think wow I just I thought I was happy but I actually wasn't this is actually what happiness feels like Mm. this is what um love feels like to to be able to love your own children unconditionally and and say to them that nothing that they ever do will make you stop talking to them or stop loving them or Mm -hmm. Just that alone is is the best feeling ever. But then you've got all these other things. You know, you can have your own thoughts now. I love that one day I can say I believe in God and the next day I can say I'm an atheist because, you know, I I can do what I want and I can think what I want. Yeah, and I can talk to people. Mm. And they, like, I've got really good friends now. One's a Mormon, nice, one of the nicest person I've ever met. Um, And I've got... Catholic friends I've got atheist friends and I love that I can talk to them and they can Mm. tell me their beliefs and I can just listen and maybe learn something Mm. and not have to sit there and think be looking for a little in you know to say oh how can I deconstruct that or how can I prove to her that she's wrong about that and Mm. that I'm right and Mm. or or not even that because I wasn't actually very good at at Mm. the ministry um but I'd sometimes come away from conversations feeling really guilty that I didn't use that opportunity to That's preach. Um, I think I felt that more than I, than because I, I didn't really preach much. But um, yeah, I love just coming away from conversations now. Just and and it's just a genuine, authentic conversation. They've learned something about me. I've learned something about them. We've connected as friends, and 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 it's great. And we don't have to judge one another or. Um, stop being friends because we don't have the same beliefs. The whole mm. thing is just really. Uh, I don't want it to sound patronising when I say that it's really immature, but I do just. I feel like I've sort of grown mm-hmm. as a person and matured because yeah. all these things that I used to do that I thought were right 
just seems so childish now. Like, oh, you don't have the same belief as me, so I can't be your friend. Yeah. That... I don't even think my children would behave like that at school. You know, it's like so immature and so, uh, you know, or you've left our club, so we're not going to talk to you anymore. The way I felt is it brought the pressure down, you know, so it was like you you live under pressure. Yeah. all the time i think you've described that a little bit where you feel like you always should be witnessing you should always, always be looking yeah. for an opportunity and you're always on the lookout for you doing something wrong or you're thinking something wrong or yeah you know and it, it's um yeah you feel that that pressure all of the time yeah um it's a great relief when you when you can you can come out of that yeah um, and it felt I, like a great weight lifted off my shoulders it is when I, when yeah because I, I was obviously now i've left i've I've reconnected with old ex-witness yeah. friends and I've mm. met new ones, obviously, like yourselves. Mm. And and it, it's made me realise how good I was. Like, I, I've never been reproved or counselled even. I was so good. And yet I felt so worthless and so, yeah. like, I was never good enough, ever. But I've literally not really ever put a foot wrong. And, yeah. and yet somehow I I felt like I, I always had in the back of my mind if I make it to paradise yeah that's right you know if I'm good enough and there's a quote that I, I read and it says now that you don't have to be perfect you can just be good and and that's how I just mm. it's so refreshing to live your life mm. thinking you know I might make a mistake one day and I might do something yeah. wrong and I might mm upset somebody but it's not the end of the world you can apologize and people can forgive you and you can move on and that constant pressure of being exemplary especially as an elder's wife or a pioneer which I've spent most of my life with one of those titles Mm -hmm. I was always under the spotlight and always everything was well you can't go on too many holidays because you're a pioneer and it might stumble people or Mm -hmm. you can't wear that because it's a bit worldly you can't have that hairstyle you shouldn't wear too much makeup you shouldn't do this because you've got to think about other people's consciences all the time and and you're irrelevant like your feelings Mm -hmm. are completely irrelevant um because it's more important what other people think of you because you you're on display mm. all the time spending a lot of time being perceived yeah and, and, and then you wonder why you're perceived. someone who's like always needing other people's approval and it, mm. because well that that's a culture thing as well it's literally yeah. and, and that's something they would admit that, that that is a you know what's more important is how you are viewed by other people because you're representing mm. jehovah 24 right. 7 so they witnesses would even admit that that's a teaching that it mm-hmm. um, doesn't matter what's going on inside. You need to have this outward mm. appearance yeah. of being good and, and trying your best and, mm. and, and being mm. an example. And, you know, I've not really pushed it to any limits at the minute, but it's quite refreshing to not have to be so, so good all the time. And, and so, yeah. you know, yeah. I can just actually be normal. And, and what I've realised is that I am still good even yeah. though I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. You know, exactly. I've not gone around murdering people yeah. or stealing or <laughs> you know, taking drugs or um, <laughs> just ruining people's lives left, right and mm. centre. Mm. I'm actually, I've, I've made friends very easily. It's mm. not been difficult. Um, and that's just because I'm a, an okay human. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I'm all right. Yeah. And I, I don't need to be told that I'm worthless and imperfect mm. and constantly 
striving to be better and strip mm. off everything that is your personality and put on our new personality. Mm. Well, my personality was okay before that. Thank mm. you very much. And I'm, I've gone back to that now and, and the results speak for themselves. Uh, people like me. So absolutely, I was okay well, before. It's been, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, thank you very much for, for sharing all that with us, Donna. Mm -hmm. It's been, really really interesting and um mm -hmm. yeah uh, there's a lot of, sort of some really important that's stuff, right yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah so i we, think we yeah really like thank said, you for, there's for loads of that. other stuff we could have talked about but i think that is something that because not a lot of people can speak about their story mm -hmm. sure um yeah, yeah. whereas i can so and i'm in a yeah. situation now where i can whereas there are a lot of people mm -hmm. that there are people that stay in. They have this happen to That's them right. and they stay in the religion or they can never talk about it because no. you can never say anything negative, even if it's the absolute truth. You know, nothing mm. I've said today is a lie or a fabrication or anything mm. or even an exaggeration. Sure. But but if I was still a witness, I wouldn't be allowed to talk about this because it's negative and it doesn't yeah. make the organisation right. look good. Um, so I think the more people that can speak it, it just makes other people feel I, I know when I listen to stories it it made me feel better that I wasn't the only yeah. one and there it's is a light at the end of the tunnel yeah no yeah. It's, it's so great that people like yourself are willing to are willing mm. to do that and I think you know there's so many more forums now for us to, yeah. to do that and it seems to be increasing all the time um let's hope that that does have some um impacts and and yeah um, yeah and, and, and that people can feel you can, you can leave and you can that's right not only like i'm not just surviving like i'm loving life life is so oh. much better my yeah. friendships are so much better my kids are so much happier yeah. i'm mm. happier life is just better than i ever thought it, it ever could be um great so you know if that's not a a good advert for getting out of her, my people. <laughs> yeah, um, I know that one. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Don. That's a great, great place to, yeah. to leave it, I think. Thank you very much for um, being on the podcast today and telling us no your story. It's been absolutely brilliant. brilliant. Thank you for Thanks having me. Thanks very much, Donna. Thanks, Lee. Thank you. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 